McDonald's, and that's like my favorite is watching commercials. Because I feel like you get an entire commentary on our whole culture while it's going. I like this commercial for two reasons. One, because I think it's funny. And two, because I think there's some truth in advertising that's going on inside of this commercial. At the end of the day, if you listen to the message underneath the message for everything that you are ever advertised for, everything that's ever tried to be sold to you, what you are actually being sold is never really a product. Because chances are you don't really need anything. You don't need DirecTV. You don't need that pair of jeans. You don't need that luxury car. So what they try to sell us isn't a product or a service, but a sense of identity. Don't be like that me have direct TV. Don't be like that guy. Be the successful guy who would drive this kind of car. A couple months ago, Apple came out with its new watch and the CEO comes live before the entire world and says, and he says this, what you put on your watch says something on your wrist says something incredibly significant about who you are. Flipping really? Really? A watch says something about who you are? A watch says nothing about who you are. It might say about how much money you have, but that doesn't say anything about who you are. It might say what you're into, but that doesn't say anything about who you are. In the United States, every year, $185 billion is spent annually on advertising. $185 billion just on advertising. That's enough to feed all the starving people in the world four times over. The average American sees somewhere between seven and 10,000 advertisements in a single week. And every one of these voices is trying to sell you an identity. Be like this, be like this, be like this. Companies pay for product placement on, in TV shows, right? They pay to have their goods put in front of you so that even subconsciously now while you're watching TV, you'll see a character that you want to relate to and they have a certain product that they maybe want you to believe this is what that kind of person uses or this is what that kind of person wears. Apple is the only company in America that doesn't have to pay for product placement on a television show. Did you know that? Companies will actually pay Apple to get their computers on their show. They have developed such an image of this is what creative people use. This is what the, the artists and the musicians and the cool and creative cutting-edge people use as apples. So whenever they want to create a character that personifies that, that character on a TV show or movie better be carrying an Apple computer. These are all the messages that keep coming at us, and they're often so subtle. But one of the questions I think that we all have to ask is, why is our identity up for sale? I mean, are we really that impressionable? It must work, or why would people spend $185 billion on it? And I think we need to come to terms with the fact that we are all entirely impressionable. You can be shaped and moved certain ways. Maybe already in your life you've seen yourself move into one sort of demographic or stereotype in school, and then you kind of move into another one. I guess my grade summary of the high school experience would be like, it's a four-year identity crisis. Because you're trying to figure out, who, who am I in this process? Like, what, what, how, these, all these things, these gifts, these talents, this, this person that I am, the personality that I have, what am I going to do with this? And our world says so much about that what you do will define who you are. And yet the reality is, what you do doesn't define who you are. 
The greatest, most important thing that you're going to do in life actually has more to do with who you become and not what you do. Who you become is a much more significant question to be asking right now than what am I going to do when I grow up. Ask yourself the question, who am I going to be when I grow up? You can do a million different things. I thought about this a little while back when I was preaching on a sermon from the beginning of the Gospel of Mark. It's the passage where Jesus is actually baptized in the Jordan by John and then the Holy Spirit descends on him in the form of the dove and the voice of the Father speaks from heaven over him. And there's like this beautiful Trinitarian moment going on in that passage. But what struck me was where it occurred in Mark chapter 1. And the voice of the Father says over Jesus, This is my son, son whom I love. In him I am well pleased. Oh, that's wonderful. The dad loves his son. And then I realized, this is the beginning of his ministry. Jesus hasn't done anything yet. You ever wonder that? The father says, you are amazing. You are my son and I love you. And he hasn't healed anybody. He hasn't brought anybody back from the dead. He hasn't even preached a single sermon yet. And the father is just in love with him. Do you know that if you wake up tomorrow morning and live better than you are right now, God is not going to love you anymore? You could wake up tomorrow morning and sin your face off. And God is not going to love you any less tomorrow night. You ever thought about that? There are some of us here who are walking really, really close with the Lord. And some of us have a ton of different questions. And God does not love any one of us any different. Does He? So why we do what we do has to be answered for a very different reason than, well, this kind of gets God to love me a little bit more. And maybe then I'll get the things that I want in life. We need to start start thinking about our identity, not in terms of what we do, but who we are. And God has so many words to us to tell us about who we really, really are. And who you are, let me tell you this, whether you want to hear it or not, is up for grabs. Every time your mom ever said, really, are you going to listen to that crap? Or nothing good ever happens after midnight? Or all these little like momish lines that you get in life? The reality, careful who you hang out with. I don't like you hanging out with so-and-so. You know, he's not a very good boy. And these sorts of lines. Your parents fear this because they know what we all know is that we are all impressionable. I was talking to a couple guys in the balcony the other day, a couple of counselors. We're talking about shows we watch and realizing after we watch certain TV shows for a certain length of time, there are certain things we take into ourselves and it begins to come out of us. We are impressionable. And I think that that's what Paul's talking about in this passage. This one we've often heard quoted in different settings, but I want to look at it a little bit different today from 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law I became like one under the law so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law I became like one not having law so as to win those not having the law. To the weak I became weak. To win the week, I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means, I might save some. So what's Paul really saying? Like, are we social chameleons? Maybe you've noticed this about yourself in the past. I had a girl come in in the middle of an identity crisis this past semester at Dort. She comes into my office and says, you got to help me out with this. Like, I'm freaking myself out because I realize that when I hang out with these friends, I'm like this. 
And when I'm with my boyfriend, I'm like this. And when I'm with my roommates, I'm like this. And I feel like I'm like schizophrenic and I'm all these different people living in the same person. And like, should I be worried about this? And she was terrified. She was scared that she could change that much. And if looked at in that light, I think, yeah, I guess the fact, this is, this is serious stuff that we need to think about how impressionable we are. But I want to flip it on its head as well. Because that also means you have the ability to be incredibly Christ-like. That also means that the Holy Spirit has the ability to produce fruit and gifts in your life way beyond what you could ever do on your own right now. Because you can be changed. Because you are open to the movements and the changes of God in life. And when you are, you can be completely reshaped, redefined, and have an identity that becomes incredibly deeply embedded within you. One that isn't the social chameleon one, like a, or the Sunday churchish Christian, where we sort of act one way on Sunday and live different the rest of the time. And this is one of the marks of maturity, you guys. This is what integrity is. It's who you are when no one's looking. I have a coach in the hockey association where I coach my little boys' teams. We are all talking about how the processes we use to pick the captains of our team. This is his process for picking a captain. Right at the end of one of the practices, he tells all the kids, I want you to all skate five monsters, the whole ice. And then he pretends like he's going off the ice. And then he goes and hides over the boards and peeks and sees which kid is actually working the hardest to pull it off when nobody's looking. And then they all come in the locker room and then he says, you, you are my captain. Because I know that you will do this when nobody else is looking. That kid is understanding his identity and who he is and what he wants to do. Not because anybody was watching. Not because there was a prize. It's not about what he does. It was already about who he is. And that coach was smart enough to realize that who he is comes out when no one's watching. It's part of our identity. So who are you becoming right now when nobody's watching? When nobody can see you? And it's just you. This is one of the reasons that at a camp like this, we really try to encourage you guys to develop this time alone with the Lord kind of thing. Because in that time, in that time, you get to figure out who you are when you're not with anybody else. In that time, you get to hear God speak over you and say, this is who you are. This is who you are. This is who you are. Because I think we're stuck in the middle of an identity crisis. Seven to 10,000 advertisements a week, hundreds of people all around us. We really are confused about who we are. It's always striking to me. We all love those, that person, right, who's been... We've that story that we hear about that guy who was beaten down so many different times, but he stayed the course because he knew he, who he was, and then one day ends up becoming victorious in whatever it was that he was working at. We had one of those stories come up for us this past year on the news. It wasn't just one guy. It was 21 of them. I don't know if any of you actually did what I did. I, made, I don't know if I would say I made the mistake, but I, was, I actually watched this video online. Anybody actually watch this video? Yeah. It was pretty hard to watch, but I was struck by several different things in this video. It's interesting that the, the captors, the ones in the back, their identity is hidden because they have masks over their faces, even though they're the ones in supposed positions of power with guns. The ones whose faces are wide open for the world to see on the world wide web, they, they have their identity showing. 21 young Christian men from some of the poorest cities and towns in Egypt that had all fled to Libya in order to find jobs in the oil fields. 
They were all young Christians and they got together and encouraged each other. Before this picture was taken, they were tortured for weeks that they would give up the name of Jesus. Knowing in their being who they are when nobody was watching, they were refined in all of that. So when the world was watching, they would sit with their faces revealed in front of everyone. And you know what they did right before? They actually all have their throats completely slit. They all sing together the name of Jesus. That's what they do. That's their identity. That's their last breath that they take. It has worked its way so deeply into their being that now in their moment of crisis, they know exactly who they are. This is the kind of self-identity that we are called to. They didn't even look scared, you guys. They just knew who they were. 21 young men away from their families. They could have been out doing whatever they wanted and instead they're suffering for the Lord because they've deemed this to be their identity. Now, after this had taken place, the media wanted to figure out some more stories about these young men. One paper by the na- through the name of the National Review decided to go into the hometowns of where these guys were from and interview their family members To give them the opportunity to say, the world got to watch your son or your brother die on the internet for the world to watch in mockery as ISIS provoked and poked a finger at the rest of the world. What now, as we put a microphone back in front of your mouth, what do you want to say to the people who killed your brothers, your sons? One young man by the name of Bashir Kamel had two of his brothers die on the beach that day. And when the journalist came to him and said, what do you want to say to those who murdered your brothers? He says, I would like to thank them for not editing out the name of their Savior when the video was put on the internet. Well, surely his mother, his mother would have something in anger and frustration and hatred to be able to say, right? Because her sons were taken. I mean, that's a, that's a mother's heart being broken. What would you want to say to them, lady? She replies, relayed through the translation of her son. He says, My mother, an uneducated woman in her 60s, said that she would ask these men to enter into her house and ask God to open their eyes because to be able to see in gratitude and thankfulness that they are the reason that they now sit in the kingdom of heaven before the face of Christ. They went to the elders of the town and said, 13 men out of the 21 died from your little village. What do you want to say? And they said, we want to say thank you that the Lord would count us worthy of choosing our town to be made famous for the first time in the world that our sons gave up their names for Christ. These journalists were so baffled in this process. They were looking to find hatred and anger and instead they found an identity that's been completely transformed in Christ. Completely transformed in Christ. Sami Yaqub puts it like this in describing these young men and what they had done. He said, from my perspective, these men were not mere victims. That's the identity that the world sees them as. But for those of us who are in Christ, we don't see them as victims. We see them as, and he quotes Romans 8.37, more than conquerors. We have a choice in this world that speaks with so much hatred whose identity we will let define us at the end of the day. And the taunts keep coming from the rest of the world. Now, not only from advertising, 
This is the little thing that comes up at the end of that video from ISIS on the web. It's a poke, it's a jab at the rest of the world. A message signed with blood to the nation of the cross. And that is literally a shot of the ocean waves soaked in blood from these men who all had their throats slit on that beach. A taunt to us. To the nation of the cross. Oh, that we would be worthy of a title like that. The nation of the cross, the people of God, the new humanity of Jesus on display for the world to watch. Wouldn't that be fantastic if that was our identity? The nation of the cross. The one who knows what it means not to be a victim, but to be more than conquerors. Because even in death, nothing can take from us what has been given to us in Christ. When your identity is found and it is that strong. Because voices will always try to take it away from you in this world. I always want people to like me. Everybody wants other people around them to like you. I have thought so many times and repented so many times before God for getting up in front of people to talk and being so afraid because I was worried about what they thought. And I'll never forget the first time I ever preached in my entire life, this woman comes up after me, afterwards to me and says, I have a passage to read over you and I want you to remember this. And I've never forgotten it. But I think the same thing could be said for each one, any one of us. It's the call of Jeremiah. And listen to, what, listen to what gets spoken over him. He's a young man now being called into the Lord's service. Get yourself ready. Stand up and say to them whatever I command you. And do not be terrified by them. Or I will terrify you before them. You see, today I have made you a fortified city, an iron pillar and a bronze wall to stand against the whole land. You see how God defines the identity of those who will be for Him? This is who you are, He says. I have made you. This is who you are. A fortified city, an iron pillar, a bronze wall to stand against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and all the people of the land. They will fight against you, but will not overcome you, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. That line in the beginning, get yourself ready, stand up and say them whatever I command you. Do not be terrified by them, or I will terrify you before them. Every single one of us has a choice in our lives as to what voice we're going to give that's going to have the most influence over us. I know in my heart of hearts, if I begin to listen to voices outside and not the voices of my Savior, then I give those voices a place of prominence. And whether I like it or not, in good and bad, they begin to define me more and more. What voice are you giving the place of prominence? There is one that speaks truth. There is one that can make you alive more than any other. There is one that died for you. There is one that died to give you a new identity. I hope if nothing else this week, you continue to hear his voice of invitation saying to you, I want more than what you got already. I want to give you more than this. I want to give you abundant life. That's what happens when we let God take over our story. We don't become victims of the world. We become more than conquerors in life and in death. And ask the band to come up front and I'll lead you guys in a prayer too. Will you bow your heads with me? Father God, we thank you for the inspiration of faithfulness for those like the young men on that beach in Libya. And Father, sometimes it just feels like we're playing church here. 
We're not persecuted for our beliefs. And yet at the end of the day, we, our identity is still up for grabs. And there is spiritual warfare all around on the battlefield of our lives. Our souls are pulled so many different directions. And so many voices are trying to speak to us to tell us who we are. Father, we just want to hear yours. Just cut through all the din, all the noise. Just you. Help us to claim your promise and to know that when we draw close to you, you promise to draw close to us. You have told us that when we ask, you will answer. When we seek, seek, you want to be found. When we knock, you have a door that will open for us. Father, honor your promises to us and reveal yourself to us. May we seek you as you seek us. So we can know more who we are. In Jesus' name, amen.